I see. So, Jane, what'd you do here in effect is count boners? I can see you're going to be a real challenge to work with. Oh, wait a minute, doctor. I haven't agreed to anything yet. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm your co-host, Sarah DeBunting, and I'm here with snake man, Jeb Lund. Hello again, Jeb. Hi. It's been a while. Yeah. We are back for season three, which I think is probably the Quaidiest of all the Quading, certainly so far. Would you agree with that assessment? It looks dense. I was looking to see what was the next movie when I was trying to do... Um, an outro thing working on it and and i was like wow it's just it's like solid 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 we're not really you know we're, we're getting like the reverse of season two where it's going to be like all the classics and a couple of duds rather than no name things yeah a couple classics yeah looking forward to a reduction in the number of times that you accuse me of just making uh, up properties with, <laughs> with dennis quaid in them and my having to assure you that this item did exist and I have purchased it from Germany on DVD. <laughs> Look, I'm honestly just glad to get out of the, the realm of like, where can we watch it? Well, there's a VHS transfer on YouTube that only plays out of the left channel. And the thing that plays out of the right channel sounds like just thousands of bees. <laughs> uh, that one was tough enough. Yeah. Ooh, Yeah. To get the clips to come out sounding not horrible, I had to to do a little manipulation because I, I was like, you know, I like the bees for atmosphere, but they're a little distracting. Yeah, it did sound kind of like George Went was rolling around in a giant room full of bubble wrap. Uh, we'll get back to him. First, we have our customary pod business in the um, in the interval between contemplating season two and contemplating season three, did you have time to listen to the Denisance? Uh, so I, I moved a lot when I was a kid. I don't, you know, I, I get the sense that you weren't nomadic the way I was, but did you ever I, have one of those? Uh, my mom was an army brat. So as a result, we never moved ever. <laughs> they still That's live funny. in that house. <laughs> My my mom was an Air Force brat and she would start to get itchy if she hadn't moved in like two or three years. And then by the time I was in high school, we lived in a house for four years and it was just like, my God, this, anybody can do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, like I, I did that. I would change, you know, cities and school districts multiple times and frequently, I mean, like enough that it, it was like, oh, this again. Did you ever have one of those classes where it turned out when you showed up on day one, you were supposed to have read like a ton of shit over the summer and nobody told you? I don't think that ever happened to me. But again, same school for 12 years and also major apple polisher over here who <laughs> has skipped a grade neur neurosis issues. Anyway. Um, well, in, in this case, like. You know, you would get sort of, you go to register for your classes and you would get a syllabus sometimes so you could go to the local bookstore and, and buy stuff if uh -huh. you were, you know, taking like a, you know, an extra schmancy class or whatever. And I remember my AP English thing was like, now you should have read this. And it's like two days before class starts. Like there is, there's not a physical way anybody could read the reading list in time. And <laughs> I'm just going to say the runtime of this movie plus the time I allotted myself at, 
on the day of. It was just like, as soon as we planned to do this, I was like, oh shit, you know, what happened to my reading list? And so no, I, I didn't do I had the I had the whole summer. I didn't do it. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I also had the whole summer. Um, one of the things that I was doing was loyally supporting the product of one of Quaid's marriages, Jack Quaid, by starting to watch season two of The Boys. But uh, yeah, the Denisons, like <laughs> the Joe Rogan of actors, I just couldn't find the time. <laughs> didn't didn't find the time you know joe rogan is an actor yeah you that's that's one word for what that was yeah actually no it's it like as as much as i like joe gorelli on news radio and really dislike joe rogan the person i kind of have to be like well, they're kind of just the same yeah i mean one scripted by much smarter people but you know not too far afield personality wise no um there's no uh, segue into the plot summary of Dreamscape, which I guess I should get around to mentioning is the movie that we are ostensibly talking about here. Do you do you have a segue from from Joe Rogan into into Dreamscape? Uh, from one unexpected nightmare to another. Oh yeah, no, it was right there. Yeah, the like hulking, smoking shell of the Capitol building. Uh, I guess it really was kind of a short hop. Anyway, um, if listeners, you're not familiar with the plot of Dreamscape, here it is, courtesy of Zaphod of the IMDb. A government-funded project looks into using psychics to enter people's dreams with mechanical help. When a subject dies in his sleep from a heart attack, Alex Gardner becomes suspicious that another of the psychics is killing people in the dreams somehow, and that is causing them to die in real life. He must find a way to stop the abuse of power to enter dreams. Uh, okay, there's some, you know, construction issues <laughs> with that last sentence, but I, I think it's basically, basically accurate. Um, Dennis Quaid plays Alex Gardner. He is a sort of um, retired child star psychic who is now getting into trouble at the local racetrack using his powers for ill um you'd think he'd live in a nicer apartment if his his gift was that predictable with the ponies or i don't know just played a lottery a couple of times and walk off with your winnings um anyway he uh is contracted for this project he like falls in love with researcher kate capshaw and ends up in my opinion, kind of dream raping her on a dream train. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole lot of early to mid 80s anxiety about computers and the Cold War and government intervention. And then I guess everything kind of turns out okay. There's also a, I think he's not quite a Moppet, but we're in Moppet territory with this kid with his nightmares. It's pretty predictable stuff. And pretty, uh, especially when you realize when it came out, it's very predictable. You pretty much know how it's going to go. Uh, the score is kind of a wild card. We'll talk about that yeah. later. I will read some contemporary reviews in a second, but I actually kind of enjoyed this. I thought it was a good B-movie and that he was very quady in it. This was like the inner space warm up, I guess. What did you think? 
Well, I mean, I'll get to the, the Quaidy stuff in a bit, although I, I'll just say I, I do disagree with you a little bit. I, I think maybe had it been a different mood, I might have walked away from this feeling more positively because I don't think there's anything wrong with the three movies that it's, it is, but I think they mixed them poorly. Okay. You know, because you have like a dream thriller, you have like a political thriller, you have kind of a love story and you have like a screwed up guy. So it's actually way more of these, like a, a screwed up guy trying to make something of himself. And I think you could have just kept it with like, here's an institute and there's a guy in it who figured out that he could kill people in their sleep and is enjoying it. Like that would have been a perfectly good thriller with enough kind of room to breathe. But the fact that you've got this like parallax view yeah style like 70s paranoia thriller inserted into kind of like a gifted but callow youth hero's journey love story yeah, I mean, it's, it's like messy. the parallax it's... view meets not top secret what's the one with atherton where his house fills with popcorn at the end real genius yes i always i mean it's they're both val kilmer but top secret is the right. one where he it's like an elvis parody basically yeah. It's Elvis and Beach Boys because yeah. they're skeet surfing. Yeah. Souvenirs, party gifts. <laughs> My favorite with that was like knowing just enough German to know when when like Nazi German is bad in movies. <laughs> and they just completely leaned into that because like this guy goes up and like hiles another. They're East Germans, but they're dressed like SS officers. And like one hiles the other and goes, Ich liebe dich, mein Schatz. <laughs> <laughs> and then all the, all the French. Dish of you. I think we have met yes. somewhere before. I I may have seen this movie 500 times at slumber parties and taken different things from it than my classmates. It's possible. I'm not a professional critic, but it, it, if I had to you know, stake my life on it, I would say that has the finest reverse performance from Peter Cushing of any oh, film. Yeah. All right. But, uh, well, anyway, so we were actually talking about Real Genius, which is the one where if you can take your penis and hammer a nail through a board, you can have sex with William Atherton's daughter. Yeah. God. Which I, you know, I was 11. I didn't really understand. It's like, is that a threshold we have to meet? Is that, you know, and then really many years later being relieved to find out it wasn't. I mean, <laughs> I wish I'd, I wish I'd been told by somebody How other many than, years? Jesus. you know, a hospital employee. But <laughs> anyway, uh. Dreamscape, a messy movie that like in parts, I think are, I mean, like you said, there there's some proto kind of quaintiness or nascent quaintiness. And there is, I mean, you got Max von Sydow in a, a thriller. I mean, even from the goodwill from Three Days of the Condor, I can enjoy this movie a little bit. You got George Went in it. Yeah. Christopher I mean, Plummer. That's right. a lot. A very that guy cast. I mean, you could probably just do 20 minutes and remembering these guys. Yeah, I think the um, putative villain was in The Warriors, which is interesting. And then you have like a lot of sort of further down in the credits, you have a lot of crossover with um, David Lynch and Spike Lee stuff. Mm -hmm. I'll also note that director Joseph Rubin is responsible for a few other things that we've already contemplated, including GORP, our winning season, not breaking away the film, but the TV show, and uh, is probably better known for Sleeping with the Enemy and The Good Son. So this hmm. is his lane for sure. I do have a couple structural kind of quibbles with it that aren't really sort of explained. Like we don't really understand how George Went, who plays a best-selling horror novelist, who also seems to dress like somebody who spends a lot of time at the bus station, 
Uh-huh. We don't really know how he knows all these detailed NSA plans for dream assassination. He just sort of shows up and knows them. And like, I don't mind like a went ex machina, but like, just give me a couple more like sentences of verbal chaff around it to make it seem plausible. Well, and there's like only went and no ex machina. Like, I feel like some of that got left on the cutting room floor. Don't you? Because he's like, hey, it's, you know, it's me, big fan. And then he's like, they're doing that fugitive thing where they're hiding, not in a parade, but in like a pep rally letting out. And then he's dead. Yeah, I would also, and this is another maybe minor quibble, but uh, there is no suppressor in the world quiet enough to assassinate somebody by shooting them right in the heart when you're surrounded by 20 people at a pep rally. I mean, (laughs) nobody has that much school spirit. You know, it's never going to get that loud. Yeah. Could you just whack Norm in a more plausible way? Could you, I mean, just, I got a lot of Norm hangups. <laughs> it's a problem. Uh, and I have a clip for that. It's not a solution, but I have a clip for it. Charlie Prince. Well, hello there. Yeah, can we catch another beer for the Monsignor? Well, thanks. You know, Sam, you look familiar to me. Uh, hey! Shelley Long's trailing Norman is uh, one of my joys in life. Um, yeah, that I'm doing a Cheers rewatch right now. So the Normness of it all was yeah. rather distracting. And when he's first introduced, he's like trying to loom or lurk threateningly. And neither of those things is a, like is in the George Went toolkit, in my opinion. So, yeah, strange choice, strange use of him. Okay, I don't have the issues with Capshaw that you do. Would you like to work through anything? Oh, she sucks. That's, oh, okay. that's it. I mean, she's like, <laughs> I mean, I don't really like Temple of Doom that much, but like of, of the many things in Temple of Doom that I wish could be replaced, she's like number one. Um, okay. Just the like good scream and that's about it. Okay. I uh, have fond feelings towards her because of Space Camp, but it's not like she made Space Camp. Right. So... Yeah, she probably couldn't even get out of, like, basic for that. (laughs) Well, none of the contemporary reviews mentions the score, but (laughs) I feel like we should. I forget how you described it in our our Slack. It was like um, uh, Funhouse, like something with a Funhouse or like Parallax Funhouse. Hey, let me, I don't remember it, so let me look it up. While Um, you're doing that, let's hear a small sample. This is supposed to be a rather intense chase scene in the bowels of a racetrack, obviously. Um, And yet it really sounds like, I don't even know, like a comedic sequence from Knight Rider. It's or like Harold Faltermeyer is having a seizure of some kind. It's it's not good. It's very of its time and not in a good way. My line with the music was that it was uh, it was like being stuck at a circus for Halloween horror nights. Like uh, it's yeah, you know, somebody on a, an organ was like, no, more demented, like bouncing between off kilterly, sort of mirthful to mm-hmm. sinister. And I, I kept waiting for a better analogy to come to me. Like I assume that you know, like in 
three months, I'm going to watch Cloak and Dagger or something. And like Dagny Coleman is going to be doing something. And I'm like, there, that's it. That's the noise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit. But you see that, I think, in or hear that in a lot of 80s product that thanks to Bolivian marching powder, people's concept of what is going to hit as menacing when a Casio involved is like at some angle to what's actually happening. So that part is not successful. A lot of the visual effects are well-meaning. I've seen worse, but they were made by me with a set of color forms. Although there were a couple of nightmare, like post-nuclear Armageddon moments in the president's dreams. And I love that he's only called the president mm-hmm. <laughs> ever that were a little bit creepy. That shell of the Capitol building was like not scary, just unsettling a little bit. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what people who didn't grow up with a real threat of the Cold War felt about it. If it just looks more toy-like and slightly silly, it's it's very red. But, you know, as somebody who grew up being terrified by the day after and mm, threads yeah. and things like that, it very much has a, like, this is something that I, I remember spending hours before I was even 10 thinking about how I'd survive, you know, yeah, same. like what water could I drink? Will, you know, I remember my mom, cause my mom was an historian telling me about excerpts from Hiroshima by John Hersey, I think. Right. Hershey, and, uh, you know, like people trying to lift other people up into a boat and just the skin like sliding off their arm, like a blistered tomato, that kind of baggage makes those scenes really more ominous. And, and, you know, then like the snake man, while actually, like slightly frightening for a couple of seconds otherwise looks kind of like gumby Mm. it's like a gumby villain and i don't know (laughs) like if i'd seen it as a kid maybe the snake man would still be terrifying but the thing i saw as a kid was the day after yeah pretty much and then uh reading that ray bradbury story that we all had to read with the the house like slowly breaking down after the bomb goes off there will come soft rains, I guess it's called. Um, no, see, in yeah, Florida, this... we had to read A Last Babylon, which is about a guy named Randy Bragg, uh, which I think the book came out about 10 or 20 years before The Stand did. So Randy Bragg, Randall Flagg, I don't know if that's an homage. But anyway, uh, it's about a nuclear attack on Patrick and Tyndall and uh, Eglin Air Force Base and just laying waste everything and randy bragg having to become the hero who never doubts himself uh, and is always solving problems and pushing ahead to found a new civilization even though he routinely does stupid shit like right (laughs) after the nuclear blast he fills up like all his ice boxes with as much raw beef as he can buy and then it all rots in like three days because there's no power for anything it's like huh oh that wasn't smart but that was that was a little bit more frightening because it was like, oh, what places I, I am right now. Yeah. Yeah, I do wonder how this hits people. Like I was watching um this Netflix series about like classic video games and their history called High Score. Mm. Came out uh relatively recently. And in the first episode, the narrator is like, Never heard of Atari? We'll get back to it. And I'm like, is it really possible to be young enough not to have heard of Atari? I think so. I mean, but like, if you're also watching this series, aren't you, wouldn't you have heard of Atari? I don't know. I mean, like, wouldn't you watch a thing about classic TV without necessarily knowing that the Dumont network existed? 
Yeah, but how dominant was the was that? Well, uh, okay, yeah, true. I mean, it like like my niece who is six years old has not heard of Atari, but if she were sixteen, I would find and we're watching this like voluntarily, I would find it weird. All right, let's uh let's hear some contemporary reviews <laughs> of people who also suffered from uh, nuclear bomb anxiety, like TV Guide, for example. TV Guide really liked it and called it quote a perfect B movie for the nineteen eighties. Light and trashy, with political overtones and a blend of science fiction and paranoia, all calculated to provide fun for an audience disinclined to take matters seriously. That actually kind of sounds like us. Made on a tight budget, the special effects are never very convincing, but the performances are all good. If you're willing to suspend disbelief, this is a neat thriller that's enjoyable from start to finish. A little more positive than I felt, but... Yeah, I mean, it wasn't slow. I wasn't bored. Even the bad stuff, to me, was entertaining. Janet Maslin, less flattering. Dreamscape tells the story of Alex Gardner. Alex, according to the screenplay by David Lowry, Chuck Russell, and Joseph Rubin, who also directed, parenthetical, that explains a lot, is the kind of guy who keeps a saxophone lying casually around his living room just in case he's feeling musical. He is also a former psychic who was recruited for an experiment at Thornhill College, where the scientific team includes a kindly father figure and his good-looking protege. Together, they teach Alex how to enter into other people's dreams. So far, this is promising, but Dreamscape is mostly maladroit, without the kind of high-gloss or confidence that might help carry its audience along. I think it is actually pretty confident. Is that confidence earned? Hmm... I think maybe the confidence comes from the fact that they knew that, like you said, you're not really bored. There's always stuff going on. And I think it's because there's sort of a multiplicity of actions, actors, and themes that are are being explored that's well over like what they have the time for. So like, yeah, you're never, you're not bored. There's always something happening, even if it ultimately winds up being sort of like an inchoate stab at something, there's something happening. And that I would be confident about that. Like nobody's gonna be bored during my movie. There's always something going on. Yeah. Well, and I, I prefer, I mean, it sounds like you might have preferred that they bring it in at more like an hour and 54 and try to do more with what they started out to do. Whereas I'm content at, I forget what the actual runtime is, 138, that it's like, well, you know, (laughs) what happened to George Went makes no sense. Next. I'm fine with that, honestly. Yeah. I I think too, I might've enjoyed it more had I thought of it more as a a, a B movie. I mean, having, seeing all these people who were in A-list movies and knowing that they were at one point all A-list actors, it didn't code for me as this is more of a kind of trashy stab. Right. And I think maybe, maybe we would have had more visual clues had we been this age when it came out and we could say like, oh, well, I can tell that doesn't have the budget that's meant to be sort of a B movie. But with all these effects being so retro now, it's, it's like a 38 year old effect or whatever. They're all meant to be kludgy, so I don't know if that's like even kludgy contemporaneously. So and maybe maybe I would have just said like, hey, you know, they're doing a lot better if I if I knew it was meant to be more like just keep putting popcorn in your face, shut up, you know, kind of movie. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I, I feel like I sensed that this was a B movie because this is another one that like so many of the movies that I cut, you know, the Quaid products that I cut my teeth on so to say, as a kid, HBO had the rights to this and they ran it three times a day, every day for six months. 
So that suggested, given it's sort of like teammates on the roster, that suggests to me now that this is not like if it were so great, they'd they'd air it at 830 (laughs) like they did with the right stuff. It isn't. So it's on at 1241. That's fine. So, yeah, I also was expecting like a real slog, expected almost nothing got more than that and so yeah i'm gonna give it a six that was where i was too i know it's gonna sound like to everybody listening to this like why do they agree a lot um (laughs) you know it isn't it's it doesn't break even on like goodness and badness i think in aggregate it's just it's a little better than the things that are sabotaging it and maybe it is because it's just so crammed full of stuff that you'll eventually pick the stuff you like but i mean the, the performances are quite above average i don't know maybe i want to no not seven i don't know i'm thinking of movies that i i I would like better than that belong there but uh yeah i mean every it's it's well executed if it's even if not well conceived or organized you know i i didn't think i would enjoy a a motorcycle chase on a on a horse race racetrack but uh i i did i i even enjoyed how it ended even though like before that the jump was like oh this is ridiculous but the ending was just nicely like well yeah he'd fuck that up (laughs) Yeah. And then like, of course, I love that they sort of um, combine the fact that this would end with the stunt guy flying into some hay bales with Dennis Quaid flying into some actual hay bales because they're at a pony track. So, all right, well done. Waste not, what not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm content with the six. Quaidiness wise, I think we're going to see a higher number. Do you have any Mm. general comments about the quaidiness? There are definitely a few moments with Kate Capshaw where you're like, yep, I, I see where this is going. Uh, but I, I kind of felt that him trying to play boyish screw up and big brother striver and somebody who's going to root out a conspiracy, like all in combination made him seem less focused and more shambolic in his interpretation. So like, I just have to this is a below average one for me, I think, even though it has like the smirky promise. Interesting. Well, I'm going to play a clip and uh, I'm not going to really introduce it. And then I just want to get your sort of off the cuff impressions of him in this clip. Novotny, you dirty son of a bitch. There is no way you're going to blackmail me into this. Do you understand that? I'm never going to do this for you. Not this way. No way. You understand? Never. Green. green blue it's a funny bit where i didn't expect a funny bit and then the uh, you know his using his telepathy later and as that scene continues was actually pretty funny and charming that was uh not what i expected but the pleading kind of with and the the lack of agency in that cut i feel like i would if i were there directing i would want different takes because he's almost there and the adolescence of his character is there, but there's almost like a kind of, you know, impotent whininess that you wouldn't expect from a guy who is so autonomous and makes a living scamming people. Yeah, I mean, he, here's my thing. Literally, they needed another take because he like stumbles over his words in that one. And there's mm-hmm. where you can tell it's a B movie that they're like, it's close enough. We're just going to get it in the editing where this is you think it's a serious moment and then there's a the smash cut to him going along because he's just been threatened with tax implications on his 
ill-gotten racetrack gains by this guy who wants him back in the program. So, like, it's a bad take on the literal level because he's, like, mush-mouthing. But I think you make a good point that sometimes Quaid, the Quaidiness here is, like, he's aging out of the adolescent part of it already. So when they try to make him this... um you know, he's a scammer and a rogue, but at heart, he's just an overgrown boy. Like, well, like he's losing the ability to sell the boy part. I mean, and yeah. at this point, he's nearly 30. Yeah. So. Well, and, and this is, I think, where I get irked at the the rapidity of the runtime, because you can work this out. I mean, he, you're putting him in a campus setting, which I can't imagine he'd go for. This guy is old enough to be like, you're going to put me up in a hotel downtown or something. I'm not yeah. living here. Where's my sack um, supposed to sleep? Or he'd be out scamming co-eds and he'd be breaking curfew. And like you could have a kind of plot where you're breaking his will to misbehave, not by like imposing authority on him, but having him discover the value he sees in his own skills. And instead, it's just sort of like, well, I'm a kid. Now I'm sneaking downstairs to this NSA run facility. Doors not locked. Just looking at what's going on. Huh? Well, I'm on board. And you're like, that's not a progression. That's really just a conclusion. Yeah, that's true. And maybe they just felt like, all right, well, we can do a thriller. We can do this like quaid on a cliff that... We or Romana Quaid that we don't have time for. Um, he, here's another clip that, um, to tell you the truth, I don't remember why I pulled this, so let's all find out together. Why can't you take this more seriously? For once in your life, try to use your gift for something positive. Yeah, right. The old God-given gift, huh? Everybody deserves a piece of it. Okay, Dr. Deep Freeze. Let's get on with it. Okay, I think... This clip is like the Ne Plus Ultra of like lady characters who are frustrated with but also want to get a leg over whatever Dennis Quaid character is being Quaidy. And then his response is very Quaidy. Like the Quaidiness is in the writing in that exchange. So I think that's why I pulled the clip. I don't know how effective you found that given that it contained Max Capshaw. Well, there, there's a line in there that he has where he says, everybody wants a piece of it. And that was another thing where it's like, again, it's an hour and 38. You could have just done 45 more seconds on this or not even that, where you're explaining maybe why he ran away. He fled Max von Sydow, Dr. Novotny's character years before. Why? And like, he's hinting at the fact that like his brain just became a toy for all these various interests but it doesn't i mean it, it gives you that hint and i think if you're a smart person you can fill it in or you're somebody who just wants to deepen the character that way but i think that's a, a pretty big thing to leave the whole audience having to fill in especially when it can maybe explain the changes he's going through or why he feels discombobulated like he's being rescued from gambling gangsters by somebody who previously took advantage of him yet you know he feels a kind of filial dedication to in spite of it i mean there's there's a lot going on there and then they just they have one line it's like no that was the idea go back well i think it's possible that first of all if they had tried to execute on this and given us the backstory that we would have found it leaden and or ham-fisted uh there's also the possibility that they wanted to see how well this did and then they would throw us a prequel starring i don't know who <laughs> 
Adrian Zmed? I don't know. Ooh. Don't bring Zmed into it. I don't, there's a lot of, I have a lot of feelings about TJ Hooker. I haven't worked out yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a lot of feelings about Greece too, but thank God this podcast isn't ever going to touch either of those. I hope. You alluded to the, the dream sequence with Capshaw and, uh, and Quaid's character here. And I was wondering if that was, we were going to get to that in Quaid qua Quaid, if that was upcoming or I didn't want to lose sight of that because that seems like a big thing in the movie. Um, yeah, I think that's the romantic plot climax. Sorry, but yeah, they wouldn't be able to do it today. I hope because he's in her dreams without her consent. And there is a brief skirmish in waking life over that fact. And then she's like, you know, shucks, I can't stay mad at you. And watching it, I was just grossed out by the fact that that's where the culture is and was that, you know, he entered her dreams and they did it without her consent because she wanted it, quote unquote. And then basically it's hand waved because he's hot and the lead. And it's not okay. And the way she phrases it is something like, well, it was just in the dream. We, we both kind of wanted it. So yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, my notes are like, I guess this is okay because she came. Okay, then. It, it is really early 80s. I mean, like Revenge of the Nerds and 16 Candles. I mean, mm. there, hmm. there's a lot of that like, well, if uh, if the main character, if you're rooting for him hard enough, it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. And you're like, uh, yeah, it does. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it gives off this this whole kind of like virtual panty raid kind of vibe. Like, we're not physically locked, so everything's legal. Yeah. No. It really did sort of drag the rating and the enjoyability down from like a seven and a half for me that that's, you know, that that's the take on it. I mm -hmm. guess we can't expect any better from 1984, but it's still off-putting and it's off-putting that Capshaw had to play it and it's off-putting that she had to play it topless apparently and they cut that so they could get the PG-13, I think. And I mean, no, it's, it's not how we treat yeah. people even in their dreams. What's especially upsetting about it is like you really could just solve this with about four lines and it wouldn't take you. You're losing what, 12, 15 seconds of the plot, you know, like, yeah, an acknowledgement that she knows that she's dreaming. And then all he has to do is say, so do you want to wake up? And then she says, no, that's it. That's yeah. all you have to do. Or he's like, you know, this is your dream. You can control it. Do you want to throw me out of this train compartment? Affirmative consent. It's not that difficult, but it never would have occurred to anyone. Yeah, no, like, there wasn't a lot of, like, Hollywood. I was like, okay, we, we need to get two things into this plot. The Bechdel test and the Antioch rules. Like, <laughs> the Antioch rules, Jesus. We're old. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give my affirmative consent to braiding the quaidiness. Okay. This is very quaidy, but it's also, like you said, a... Um, shambolic isn't the word I'd use, although I get it, but there's, like, a lot of... Um, peak subquades or sub peak quades that seem to be maybe competing with each other a little bit and also his character dream raped kate capshaw and it's a problem so i'm gonna say eight 
Okay, I was going to go with four. And just because I think if it, if it were less all over the place, if he picked a tone and ran with it, even if he wasn't doing as much, it would have been more amplified. I think it's just he's throwing Quaid off in all sorts of different directions. And because it never winds up sort of concentrated in one, it doesn't get stronger. And uh, and also, you know, he tried to rape Kate, yeah. Kate Capshaw's character in A Dream Train. That knocks it off. So, like, I was inclined, given his charm, to be around, like, six and a half, seven. But it's just, like, that's a, a big hurdle. And it's really inconsistent. You know, like, the minute you kind of feel like, okay, I'm on board. This is the guy I recognize. This is the kind of trip I want to take. Not only are you on the rape dream train you're also on the like petulant child kind of thing or like well now i'm a big brother buddy and yeah now i'm you know like now i'm racing a motorcycle but i'm also running into women's restroom kind of i don't know like just all of them were just played at different levels yeah there's a quadotic evil joke here but i'm not qualified <laughs> anything else before we depart dreamscape uh, anything else before we uh, fling ourselves out of a moving car? I just want to point out that I did not know that post-nuclear dogs start to growl like panthers. I really like that. Next time on Quaid in Full, Enemy Mine. In the meantime, take a sedative and check out the show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. Wondering when your favorite Quay joint is getting covered or want to advertise on a specific film or TV show's episode? DMs are open. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Barge into our subconscious stream compartment and sign up wherever you get your podcasts. And rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. We hope you've had an exciting day at the track.